Do people believe in you? Do your friends believe in you? Well, what do you mean by belief? That's a fair question. In fact, that's kind of the whole question, isn't it? (laughs) And wouldn't the answer to that depend on who these friends are? I mean, there are friends and there are friends. (laughs) Not everybody who calls us a friend really wishes the very best for us. You know the kind I mean. Friends who are friends for themselves, uh, not for you. You scratch my back and I'll scratch yours, by which they mean we'll be friends as long as the relationship benefits them. (laughs) As soon as they cease getting anything for themselves in the alliance, they kind of lose all interest in you. But there's worse, the friends who expect you to supply everything in the relationship. Watch out if the friendship actually costs them something. A cobra thumped on the head, I don't know if you've ever seen that. <laughs> they can't turn they couldn't turn on you that fast. I mean, is there a friend who actually believes in you? And okay, true friendship is a journey. It takes time to develop any relationship. But are some fortunate enough to have a friend who has traveled with them long enough to really, truly believe in them? See them for who they are and so believe in them. Believe in them like you believe in Jesus. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Believing in Jesus. But believing what? We believe that Jesus Christ is true God and true man possessing two natures joined in one person without confusion of the natures or division of the person. Eternally God, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He died for the sins of humanity on the cross, was buried, rose again, and was seen by witnesses. In the same body with which he was crucified, Jesus Christ was glorified and ascended into heaven where he now intercedes on behalf of his people, believing in Jesus. Okay, that's, that's that part about Jesus in our church's statement of faith. And clearly they could not believe in that. I'm, not all of it had even happened yet. And with Jesus, things are not just about friendship. There's, there's an eternal tint to everything connected to Jesus. So maybe we need to ask what sort of spiritual journey were all these people making? Okay, it's been a full year (laughs) since our last conversation in John's Gospel, so we'd better look at where we are in his recounting of the good news of Jesus Christ. John, writing decades after the other Gospel writers, skips a lot of the things the others included and brings into sharp focus the truth that Jesus is God the Son in human form. That's the two natures part of our confession of faith. God is eternally existent as three persons in one nature. And one of those persons, whom we know as the Son, added a human nature to his person. 
thousands of volumes <laughs> have been written on this subject. We're not going to get any more details here. Today, we just want to point out that it took some time for the people who were mere humans to get this. As one reads through John's amazing work, it is clear that this is the truth, God in human form, with which every person whose life intersects with Jesus must grapple. John the Baptist, his disciples, his mother, Nicodemus, the woman at the well, and on and on. They all had to grapple with this truth. And as this greatest of stories progresses and the truth of Jesus' nature natures, comes ever into better focus, we get a clearer picture of the nature of the people whose lives collide with Jesus. For more than three years, Jesus has openly taught, demonstrated his severe, intense love, worked amazing signs. All three, and his true nature, were most poignantly demonstrated in the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And just days after that great event, Jesus walks toward Jerusalem to enter it for the last time before his crucifixion. And that's where we pick up the story today. This event is usually titled the Triumphant Entry. It's called this partially because of a habit of conquering rulers of that day. Whenever their armies would return from a successful campaign, they would draw near the walls of their home city but stop a ways outside. Their supporters, which would include anyone who didn't want to die, <laughs> would gather to cheer them as they entered the city in triumph. It was a big parade. Jesus' triumphant entry was different than any that ever took place. But it was still a major event, and we want to look at the reactions of those involved. So let us first consider the actions of those who long before had given up even the pretext of being friends of Jesus, the chief priests and Pharisees. They saw nothing in the triumphant entry but a physical journey to celebrate the beginning of a new kingdom on earth. They thought Jesus wanted to be king. And, you know, well, we only have to consider the condition of their blind hearts. In between the, the great lesson with Lazarus, the raising of Lazarus, and now, now in this story, these men had a meeting. What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them said to them, you know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. So they premeditated the murder of Jesus. And now, hey, we're going to kill one off. We might as well make it two. <laughs> wow. Now, if you've read the story, you'll recall that these same guys concocted a plan to get everyone else sucked into their evil scheme. Now, why do people do that to their friends? Because we are all innately evil. None of us are good enough to keep up good for long. And people who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, they'll be happy to tell you how they will love you no matter what you do. But it's a hard truth, but it's true. They're thinking of themselves. They're perfectly happy for you to screw up your life all the time telling you that they wish it weren't so. They never say, I'll love you even if you live a perfectly righteous life. 
And why are they okay for you to destroy yourself, but not for you to live right? Because they're thinking of themselves. If you live right, it's an indictment against their wrong living. And who wants that? (laughs) They prefer you fail. And we'll give you every opportunity to do so, encourage you to do so sometimes. Well, we need to change our lives and avoid spending excessive time with these people. Paul wrote, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. That's still true. So the chief priest thought, like Judas, that Jesus was only doing and saying whatever it took to gain power because that's what they wanted. And people were going away, leaving their sphere of influence and going towards Jesus. But Jesus was not looking to gain power. Remember those two natures? He is God. In his divine nature, he has all power. Jesus the man was on a mission, a spiritual journey to establish an eternal kingdom, to draw that life and this together. And the chief priest didn't get it. All they saw was the cost of the relationship to them. The Romans will come away, come and take away both our place and our nation. <laughs> uh, sad. Well, let's get to people that are more like us. What spiritual journey were the crowds making? The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel! Hosanna! Okay, the actual words, it's multiple words in Hebrew, they mean give salvation now or oh save. But they were pretty much just used as a general acclamation by Jesus' time. And That's pretty much it. And everyone, even if they thought of the actual meaning of the words, they didn't think of them as spiritual. You have to consider the palm branches. They were a Jewish nationalistic sign. It's like waving old glory for us. That's what it was. This was a political rally in their minds. All four Gospels record that the people quote from Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. They loved the Hosannas. This guy will be our king. But they forgot what the psalmist recorded immediately before those words. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I'm not going to stop and say rejoice and be glad in the day that the builders rejected. That, that's amazing in its own. But today, we're considering that those words came just before verses 25 and 26. Then the Hosannas. You know, then the king. After the rejection. They misunderstood that the Christ would change everything because he was interested in the spiritual the eternal and those who were building the nation Israel or at least thought they were would reject him and they would discover that they had it wrong all along John with Matthew takes the time to remind us of Zechariah's prophecy and Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written fear not daughter of Zion behold your king is coming sitting on a donkey's colt They were excited for this powerful king, but he was riding on a donkey. And they didn't ask why. 
Let's look at the focus of how he comes through Zechariah's eyes. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Hundreds of years before Jesus came, Zechariah showed the heart of the Christ. And they didn't get it. They were thinking, now, this world, what do we get out of it? Zechariah knew it was the spiritual, the real life, our next eternal life. And certainly this crowd forgot or dismissed the other thing that Zechariah wrote. Then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. This startlingly accurate prophecy of Judas and the chief priests soon to come actions, they conveniently forgot. Why do people do this? And how could they forget this prophecy of what was still to come? And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. One day they will get it. (laughs) He was always the king. But it was never about an earthly kingdom. Even when he reigns in Jerusalem, it won't be about an earthly kingdom. So if it wasn't spiritual truth, what got them going? The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went out to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. Okay, we've got a lot of crowds here. (laughs) We need a who's who of crowds. There were three crowds. The small crowd that saw Lazarus raised and spread the word. That's in verse in 12:17. if you want to read it. A larger crowd that came to Bethany to see Lazarus and Jesus. And then the great crowd that came after hearing them to the triumphant entry. Please note that their faith was based, all three of them, only on the physical sign. Not the spiritual truth behind the sign. They were looking for a guy with power to make their lives better. In this case, to overthrow the bad guys, the Romans. They were like many people who looked to Jesus to solve their problems. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation." They would only believe in him when he was doing something spectacular, something to help them. But that's not good enough when it's God you're talking about. So Jesus said to them, you want to know who I am? You'll only really know it when I'm raised from the dead. And why do people want signs anyway? Miraculous signs are evidence of another nature colliding with ours. Another dimension, if you prefer a spiritual dimension. But they aren't necessarily proof of God's blessing. They aren't necessarily dependable. 
Listen to the prophecy John recorded of what has yet to happen even now. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven on to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. Evil spiritual beings can and will do, at least in the tribulation time, miraculous signs. So why do people want signs? I don't know. Maybe because they don't really want to do the work to get the change that they want. Maybe they want someone else to do all the work for them. So they get trapped and even killed and eventually enslaved on their spiritual journey as well as the physical. And what's the sad end of that sort of thing? And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his enemies. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And we discover that those who willingly follow after them follow them in their fate. I think it's time for another more comforting lesson. <laughs> Let's go back to John's Gospel. <laughs> His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done in him. Some of those who call you friend will actually prove to be true friends. <laughs> they will. Some will. But even those who really believe can get it wrong, uh, sometimes for a long time. So a little humility, some careful study of Scripture, maybe we can get it right. We need to carefully consider our spiritual journey. But even then, just because one has correct knowledge of what to do doesn't mean they'll actually do it. Like the Pharisees, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Well, they were reduced to playing the game, the blame game. It's not my fault, it's your fault. <laughs> but the Pharisees were right. Sort of. The world will eventually all go after Jesus. All the world is making a spiritual journey. In your spiritual journey, will you simply think of Jesus as another power seeker? Are you just looking for someone to get you what you want? You know, no, not me. I wouldn't do that. Is what you want more important to you than what he wants? If what you want conflicts with what he says, do you follow him? <laughs> or chase your own desires, the passions of your heart? Have you missed all the signs that really point to Jesus? Are you just one of the crowd following along? Or are you willing to do what it takes to get to the next step in your spiritual journey? Do you see Jesus for who he is, the Christ? truly man and truly God and if you do will you be a true friend to him will you live your life in such a way that people ask why do you live the life you do do you see Jesus
Jesus. I got to thinking, maybe we're looking at this all wrong. (laughs) We're concerned about being a good friend to Jesus. That's good, I think. But, But what if our focus is completely wrong? Maybe the true issue is, is Jesus a friend of ours? I mean, think about it. Are we kidding? We're going to be great friends to Jesus. He should be so lucky as to have us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's face it. We're never going to be good enough for the perfect one. If it all comes down to us being good enough for him, we're toast. Right? Anybody here want to claim that they've never screwed up in their lives? <laughs> yeah, I was real sure that nobody was going to raise their hand there. <laughs> but I got some really good news for you. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify, that is, set you apart completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He will do it. The disciples all abandoned Jesus in his hour of greatest need. But he drew them back. The crowd at Lazarus' tomb wouldn't stand up for him in the face of the ruler's evil plans but many of them became followers of jesus those who were seeking for jesus to do something for them at pentecost thousands believed in him even from the ranks of those chief priests and pharisees who committed premeditated murder the father called many (laughs) we don't need to seek to be really great friends to jesus We just need to seek Him. He is faithful. He will surely teach us everything we need to know. He will make us a friend worth having. All these reactions to Jesus, maybe they aren't so much about showing how great or not some person is. Perhaps they're just to show how close that person lives to Jesus. (laughs) How much He is doing in their lives. Maybe... Maybe these reactions are more thermometer than thermostat. <laughs> Your life is screwed up, you know, join the world. <laughs> Sorry. Quit trying to live right for Jesus. Seek Jesus and let him change you. He will change our souls until we want to live like he knows is best for us to live. Until he turns us into true friends. Only in Christ will we ever achieve true friendship. If you belong to Him, if you have a true relationship with Him, a friendship with Him, He will be a true friend to you and He will help you to live as a true friend who truly believes. And one day, He will turn us into true, perfect friends. Perfect In the new creation, we will be perfect friends of his and everyone else who is there because of who he is, not us. What a friend we have in Jesus.